Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. Happy second episode of the weekday. And at the Elephants, we got a brand new episode for you this week. Very excited to share with you the lovely Miss Shana Penn. Uh, she is uh, school design and production stage management. And uh, I really want to get right to the episode because it's not super short. It's a long one. And uh, it's all Shana's fault. And I say that with love because I love someone who can talk more than me. And as you are about to find out, I did an episode of At the Elephants with someone who can talk more than me. Um, she has a lot to say, though. It really isn't just purely rambling. But I will say this episode's a little extra ADHD. I do my best if you've watched this show before, listened to the show before. I can be tangential. I can be like, let me tell this story or like, let's follow up on that. I try really hard to bring it back to what we were talking about and, and sum things up. Um, but this episode, because of both Shayna and I's appetite for following new leads, is a little bit like um, that show Lost. Um, not just in that's how you might feel at some point, um, but also like, so what if we introduce some polar bears and we don't fully explain where they're from, man? It's going to be okay. Just go on the ride, you know, go on the journey. Uh, we talk about a lot of really fun stuff in this episode. We have um, chats about growing up in South Jersey, condolences on the Phillies loss, Shayna in the World Series. Sorry about that. And I'm sorry it was to the Astros. That's got to hurt a little bit more. Um, but we got into that uh, largely. One of the biggest things we talked about, I'm going to check my list of um, different stuff we've got coming up, but largely we talked about um, her working on cruise ships. Um, it's something I thought I was going to do uh, out of school. I remember, and I I think I tried to get into it in the interview, but um, Cirque du Soleil came to school, and they had somebody who had made cruise ships their life, and they really did almost like a little master class um, job fair thing on cruise ships, and we're talking about all the money you'd make. Um, I It's funny enough, because I since then have had a lot of friends and musician friends and people I've known that have played cruise ships uh, for a living, uh, either as performers or musicians of some kind or, or, or now in stage crew as well. And it is a mixed bag. It really, there's a lot to learn about what it's like to get a job on a cruise ship. And this is the episode for you if that is interesting to you. Um, we got into... Uh, the dynamics of changing ships and changing lines and how people are treated on the ships and all this different stuff. I'm not going to take up a bunch more of your time because Shayna is going to take up a bunch more of your time, but it's going to be great. She's lovely. She's talented. Uh, she's very hardworking. She's very beautiful. Um, she's Shayna Penn, everybody. And here she is. I could have been not an asshole. Also, if I waited, I couldn't have been an asshole. So I'll take that one. My wife is like not a backseat or like passenger driver, but she does have like a lot of, she's a great driver, yeah. uh, but she's very nervous kind of uh, watching other people do unpredictable things. Yeah. Like I'm driving, but if we get cut off, she's like, oh my God. And I'm like, but you're fine. Yes. I'm the one who's in control of that affecting me and then our safety being an Regardless issue. Regardless of who I am in the car, I still think it's all a psychological game. I think that's true. And I hate when I'm with drivers that are on the other side of not being in tune to the rest of the road. 
Right. Like if they're the one who's going to cause the accident, that's yeah. when I'm like, oh my God, please stop. Well, justifiably. Yeah. Because you want to be like, you want to get home like alive and stuff. It helps. So high maintenance. I did, truly. You want to live through every journey. Good standards, yo. That's a good distance. You're welcome to move around and adjust as much as you like. I don't mind a, a this, but just kind of a fist. Yeah. A fist okay. is about something like give or take. Right. So just don't end up with like this guy yeah. and then all of a sudden we're talking like this yeah. and we've left I'll just it over sort here. of keep it this way. And so what what are some of the talking points tonight? Oh, there aren't any. <clears throat> oh, great. Yeah, no, I don't do that. That's not how this show great. works. This I do a lot of shows. This is not the expert where you pressure me into having children cuz you think I'm pretty. Great. Is there something you want to talk about? No, that's just a Dax Shepherd special and oh, I love okay. his podcast and I love that he's grown and he's taken the feedback people have given him about the way he conducts his interviews sometimes. What does he do? He just like in his This earlier, is Kristen Bell's husband, the actor? Yeah, he has like this big podcast called Armchair Expert. Okay. And I have only just recently discovered it. So like all of his early episodes, because I'm like going from 2018 to present. Right. Everyone who's like not got children on that show who come onto his podcast, like, I don't know if kids are for me. And he's like, you should be a parent. And he, and it, really? And he addressed the controversy one day. And eventually, one of the a bunch of people were like, you should stop telling people that. And he said, look, if I see people who are any way, in any way wishy washy, they're obviously on my podcast because I think they're good, capable, competent people. I think they are going to be more capable parents than most people who want to have them out there who are He means like, it as a compliment, not yes. as like a pressure. Correct. Okay. And I think that it comes across as he's trying to push his own opinion because he does that with other things. Right. And so I'm always What's like, the title of the show? Armchair expert. Well, he's got expert in the fucking title. He's going to talk you down a little bit. That's the whole. Sure. That's set up from the get go. And he's the kind of guy, like, if you just say, like, free Medicare for all, he's going to be like, do you trust the government to run healthcare? Like, he is right. going to challenge you a little bit. Sure. And I get that because I think everything needs a little bit of critical thinking to sure. it. Sure. That's smart. Yeah. I like to think so. The. I only ever – thank you for doing this. Also, yeah, Let's you're Let's start welcome. with that. So Is that's it fun. Like, We're going. Cool, We're, great. It's happening right now. Amazing. It's, uh, I don't, I Did don't, it ever stop? That's a great way to, <laughs> that's a great way to start. Yeah. Um, no is the answer. Cool. It didn't. Um, it's always been going on. Um, no, thank you for doing it. A lot of the episodes of the show that I'm going to do are going to be remote, like Zoom interviews, only because yeah. – we're everywhere, yeah. the school yards people. And you don't live in Winston-Salem anymore, and you don't, don't live out of a suitcase. And I don't live in New York City where so many more interviews uh, for the show are available to me. Sure. It's way, way more populated over there and also just like easier to get to – even if it takes time, it's just easier to get rush to somebody's place. Rush hour on a subway across town is very different than driving across it LA is. at rush hour. It just takes – Less Stillness than and patience, you know? No, there's no yeah. thinking involved. You just kind of have to do it until it's done. You just got to like pray the MTA gets you somewhere. Right. And then find peace when they don't, you know? Or just despair. Yeah, exactly. Just give up. Above. <laughs> um, no, I appreciate you doing it. I only ever prep one question for this show. If anybody's listening or watching that's seen it before, uh, it's not a premeditated thing just because I don't know... I don't know what I want to talk to about people unless maybe they've done some very particular project that I want to be like, hey, what was that like? But yeah. other than that, I, I generally don't. I mean, I want to talk about the cruise ship thing because yep. that's a great, uh, interesting thing for anyone who's an artist or interested in artists to talk about that 
niche market of getting in that work. I yeah, very, we've talked about this before uh, off camera. I've I thought that's where I was headed for quite a while. Right. Uh, right. Doing like lighting and stuff back when that was my game. Um, but no, the only the only premeditated question is where are you from? I am from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I'm from my mom. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is 20, 30 minutes east of Philadelphia. Right. And I had this really huge luxury growing up where the high school I went to had a really strong arts program. Nice. And so I was super lucky. And I got to go see so many shows in New York because uh, Hebrew High School would go on field trips once or twice a year to go. Uh, my drama department would go once or twice a year. Sometimes I would get excused as an English class field trip if I was seeing a classic like when um, Claire Danes did Pygmalion on Broadway. Got it. So I got to see shows frequently. Did you say Hebrew High School? Is that where you went? No, I went That's there. That's pretty on the nose. That's maybe not the right expression for that, but <laughs> but still, <laughs> but I didn't realize that's like very direct. They're not even, it's not even Beth Israel High School or no, something. No, no. I went Hebrew to a public high, high school. school. Okay. And I had separately from public school all growing up, twice a week I would go to Hebrew school in the evenings ah. after school. And then after my after the bar bat mitzvah years, you go into Hebrew high school. Okay. And it's classes usually once a night and weekends. Um, and I went for a year and I sort of was phasing out of going to synagogue three times a week at that point. And That's so a I lot. Yeah, one or two days for Hebrew school plus Saturday for Shabbat services. I I'm very happy being Jewish. I'm I'm not as um, observant as I used to be, but right. I I love what I grew up with and gained from it all. I think I'm a more well well-rounded person for it. I wanted to be Jewish so bad when I was in high school, like so bad. Okay, I'm not. What? Where did that idea? Like, where so did that want from, begin? I'm from Texas, yeah. where we don't. We don't have any Jews. There's yeah. like no Jews there. Oh, so you I would wanted have to be like, the one to stand out. I had two. This is true. When I was growing up, I had two Jewish friends. Yeah. Uh, one of them was named uh, Josh uh, Pudnos. And the other guy's name, I'm not joking, was Ben Jew. That's guy's, amazing. His last name was Jew. And it was so appropriate that he was one of the only Jewish kids yeah. in the entire community. And It's I, a description and it's a name. Yeah, it's it's like, like a two for one. Well, and also it... It kind of, I'm kind of hoping that he's less observant now so that his name, only because I hope his name is even more accurate. He was like, well, Ben Jew, not as much anymore. <laughs> um, but he. Is he, his little name a little? <laughs> I, right. Name? I was like, you should name your son Christian. <laughs> yeah. I had so many jokes that he did not enjoy, uh, which is fine. But Ben and Josh were really cool kids, but that they, they weren't really the reason why I wanted to be Jewish. The, I, it was fully a. Uh, like um, film and television thing. Right. I grew up with really because it's an obvious career pathway. We own the industry. You're not joking. <laughs> uh, totally here. Not fully uh, joking. No, well, no. And here's so here's the truth. I grew up in a Christian family, but my parents, uh, of all the people in my family, is very big. Uh, that were took. Uh, church very seriously, but my parents didn't. They were like the two kids who were like, yeah, my parents are Christian. Right. Uh, you know, whatever. They may have a personal relationship with God, yeah. but we didn't really go to church a lot. When I was really little, I would go with like, if I went to uh, visit my grandparents, we would go to church. Um, I had friends who were Catholic and we would sometimes go to mass with them. Yeah. But my parent, my mom and dad did not 
go to church or take me to church and especially not my dad. That's the opposite of how I grew up going to synagogue every single weekend. So it's kind of interesting to hear the other side of it. Yeah. I, we, we weren't doing any of that and the values were kind of there, honestly. And my, my grandma, especially my mom's mom is still very Christian, goes to church and she was like classic, ideal, not who you normally meet in the South Christian. She was like kind and not judgmental doing the real Jesus-y shit of like, you take care of people and you, right. you know, look after the poor and all the that kind of stuff. kind-hearted version oh, of Christianity. Time. Big yeah. time. Not the um, more... No, judgment. not the yeah. fire and brimstone. That wasn't the, yeah. the environment. It's but something I all love of my all about of, people like you, like where yeah. you're able to acknowledge there are good and bad sides to oh, what I've experienced. Yeah. Of almost all of them. Yeah. Except when I was growing up, I had no examples of like, anything wrong with Judaism. I was like, they all seem so fucking nice. And they don't, and none of them seem to take Because no it. one usually likes us. So we're kind of just expecting, like, unless you're nice, and like, we're just right. not used to that. <laughs> and everyone, everyone I met who was Jewish, which was uh, Ben and Josh, they were very nice. Uh, but I it, thought you meant Ben from School of the Arts for a second. Oh, no. Oh, to, when I got to School of the Arts, yeah. the Jew game went way up. And all of a sudden I had all these great well, Jewish friends. you're closer to the Mason-Dixon line. So it just naturally, you get a higher population. Well, and literally I got into, um, I got into drama. My dean is Gerald Friedman's pretty Jewish. And we, so that we're getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the reason I wanted to be Jewish in high school was purely just because all of so many of my like heroes in the world of like comedy and the entertainment industry and all that stuff, they were Jewish. And not only that, they had so many great jokes about being Jewish. You know, I I grew up watching like Adam Sandler and all these people that I'm like, man, that just, and, and I think it was in part of that high school phase of wanting to be like, you know, you're finding your identity. You want to figure out who you are. Some people are like really attached to like the goth thing or they attached to this. And I just remember. Boy, you can spot the goth Jew style a mile away. You know, it's like a Hamsa and a star of David, but it's all black. I would have, I would have soaked in that so quickly. Yeah. If there had been goth Jews in my high school, that would have been my crowd. That's the new um, CW show. Oh my God. Goth Jews on the CW folks. It's uh, be here all season. Yeah. That is a great idea. I didn't know this was going to be a pitch meeting, but this is working out. We're going to have to get the copyrights out now. This is going to be very good. (laughs) Let me make a note. Um, No, but I I just, I was very much looking for some sort of community, some sort of faith. And then when I was in high school, junior year, uh, the summer between sophomore and junior year, I moved to New York. Okay. And uh, I was living in like Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Wow. I spent a whole year, uh, junior year living in Manhattan, going to school, had a lot of Jewish friends. And I just remember being like, maybe these are my people. I'm not one of these people, but maybe this is, can be the community. And uh, my first girlfriend when I moved there was Jewish. And I was like, maybe I'll just, I get brought into that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, all alone junior year, uh, in December, yeah. I got my own menorah. That's awesome. I, I lit my I'm own like smiling candles. smiling at how excited you are. I did. I lit my own And my mom and my uh, Mexican stepdad are like, what the <laughs> hell are you doing? Like what? Sure. And I was like, I was like, I'm learning how to say Baruch Atai and get fucking going with these candles is what I'm doing. And uh, and I, I really tried to do it. Yeah. But then I felt so alone because yeah. I was like no one else really close. And I broke up with the girlfriend. Right. No one else really close to me was into it. So you didn't get the it. baptism in the box of locks or anything? I didn't even okay. go to temple. 
I was like, I don't know where. There's a lot of synagogues here in LA. We can, we can like adjust this. I don't know if I'm into it anymore. Just to like get you in once and be like, this is what it's like. I would love to do that. I would sincerely love to do that. And I actually. And you're coming up on a great time of year to do this because it's almost the new year. And then there's Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Then there's a ton of other days that celebrate all the different elements of, of the fall and the harvest and everything like that. I'm totally into at least checking it out culturally. Yes. I don't, I don't. I've really drifted into the atheism pretty seriously in a, a, yeah. a literal way. But well, so two thoughts I love based the on, culture. I, it's, I, and that's something that I love about Judaism. And I've really been talking to a lot of people in my age group about this over the last year, really, because I also go to synagogue less than my grandparents did and my parents, respectively. And I... I identify as Jewish very openly. Right. And it's not that I am any less Jewish for not going to synagogue. I just choose to have customs in my life very differently. I totally grew up with a kosher house, but now um, dietarily, like I could cut out shellfish and certain things now, but- You have a far stricter diet now than you did when you were kosher. Totally do. And yeah. I, and that's part of that's why I like cut myself some slack, but right. not all. Uh, I do pray on Yom Kippur to like sort of make up for the shrimp. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Who could blame? Yeah. But I, I mean, I. Are you a coconut or butterfly girl when it comes to the shrimp? Or I just, just grill them. Or your cocktail style? Cocktail is good. I've had like I'll do. I, I eat shrimp any which way. Like I'm not picky. Wife loves shrimp. <sighs> not my thing. She and I are gonna have shrimp, gal. and we're gonna just slowly eat it in front of you, and then you're gonna eat ribs in front of yes. me. Yes. <laughs> That's a deal. One of my favorite jokes when I was a kid, and this is another reason one of my like little idols when I was growing up is David Cross, mm-hmm. um, who is from Georgia and raised Jewish, but very early was like, ah, I'm out. Yeah. But he, he, he had a joke once where he was like, and I didn't get this at first. Cause like I said, I didn't know the culture at all. I had to look up why this was funny, yeah. but he was like, so I have this business idea where what I'll do is I will be hired by uh, kosher Jewish people to come to their house and eat pork in front of them and describe it so that they can at least get the vibe, you know, I'm just yeah. eating baby back ribs like, oh. I have never had oh, it's pork. so good. I have had bacon you've, maybe twice in my life. You've never had any pork other nope. than a couple of nope. bacon strips. But I also grew up with pescatarian. My parents went pescatarian when I was uh, just about 10 years old. Okay. And then my mom stopped being pescatarian when she got breast cancer. Okay. Um, she basically said, well, fuck it. If I'm going to get cancer, I'm going to yeah. eat pastrami and my cholesterol is going to do what it Word does. Up. And my, I respect that. Yeah. And so my dad went pescatarian to support her. Mm-hmm. This was early 2000s. Like we didn't have almond milk, cat milk, cashew milk. Like we, right, we didn't have right, like right. eight versions of tofu. We had exactly. like one kind of tofu and it was watery. Yeah. So like my dad went pescatarian to support her. And then once she went back to eating meat, he just didn't want to. He felt guilty about the animals and everything. And he sure. stayed pescatarian. So now that it's just them living together, we're all out of the house. My mom doesn't like bring chicken or meat into the house a whole lot because she'd be, again, she'd be cooking for one. Yeah. So it was really easy for me to go, um, go pescatarian, tons of support there. Um, uh, a couple of thoughts though. Um, I think one of the reasons Jews are always making fun of themselves mm. is it's a defense mechanism, right? Like we're sure. lowering the arsenal of reasons why you might hate me. Yeah. Like the Jews have not 
historically had a whole lot of respect around the world. Like, sure, I've read some things. Yeah, like Pharaoh, <laughs> slavery, like then the Spanish Inquisition. There like, was something in Germany. Yeah, just a little, little I'm detail. I'm not a history major. I think the guy's name was Hitler. Um, so yeah, and so I just, there's, you know, each, every hundred or couple hundred years, there's something where people just decide that the Jews don't deserve a spot in the world. Right. And I'm Recently, not, there was an issue about you uh, not replacing some people, I think, in yes. Virginia or something like that. It's wild to me, some of the theories that are out there. And it's just really sad to me because we're no better or worse than anyone else on this sure. planet. We, I understand the conflict with Israel and Palestine. I don't agree with a lot of Israel's um, more extreme, more prejudiced policies lately. But I also think that who is supporting a lot of the extremists running Palestine all the other people surrounding Israel, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Syria, right. those countries, where do, where do you think the people in Hamas and Gaza get these weapons and funding from? They don't sure. have anything else. So I, someone recently described Israel to me as like, if you were to stand like at the top of the Griffith Observatory and everybody else is pointing guns at you, right? that's essentially what Israel is. It's the only designated place in the world where Jews are meant to be safe and they are probably number two on everyone's bucket list. And what choice do you have to like make a joke? Right. You know, let's lighten the mood a little totally. bit when you're constantly under that tension. And it also, I think something that I love about Judaism is I, it does not, the Hasidic Orthodox, more extreme side of Judaism, to me, I liken to the more evangelical side of Christianity. Yeah, the more I've heard that. Muslim extreme, like, they're not coming from a place of hatred. They're coming from a point of absolute discipline and a refusal right. to modernize discipline. And the idea that like a thousand years ago, they had it right. And we totally. don't really need to improve on that. And I think there's things that we don't have right now, but I'm not sure. saying everything. I don't need to wear a wool coat in the summer. I don't right. need to shave my head when I get married and wear a wig. I think, yeah. you know... Um, I did that. That's why I have the hat. This oh, is this is actually an add-on. That's the this significance is like of the spirit daisy. Gum. Yeah, exactly. It's for volume. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up your parents because that's yeah. usually how I follow up too. So what yeah. mom and pop, what they do for money? They, they ran a small business that oversaw different forms of income management. So like different kinds of taxing and accounting and stuff like that. Got you. So my, really kicking that stereotype of Jews oh, working yeah. in money and finance. <laughs> well, my dad <laughs> was the son of an accountant. He was right. a, he was an accountant for the government. My grandpa served in World War II in the Navy. Okay. And then he became an accountant and, you know, he just had the respectable, you know, however many decade government job with a pension, retired totally. at whatever age. And my mom office managed uh, and also raised three children. That is so interesting because yeah. my my wife's story is almost exactly the same. They're Korean and and pretty intense. Is Christians. that a stereotype too? Where there's where there are accountants and doctors and no? Yeah, right. I've read uh, again, not a history guy, but um, they no, that's very similar. Um, in just in that they're uh, religious. Yeah. And the dad was the accountant and the yeah. mom was kind of the office manager of the independent business. Yeah. So I think it's also, man, it's such a, it's such a good necessary business that has needed to happen since there's been money, which yep. has been a minute. And I, it it, is, it's and hard yet for me same, to relate to. At the same time though, I cannot believe the American tax management functions the way it does. Sure. If the IRS wanted, you know, the IRS knows how much we owe. I have to pay an us. accountant just fucking to tell, tell us. me how much I owe them so that I don't get in trouble. Right. And it's just like, wait a second. What if the IRS just hired a bajillion 
accountants. And then I partner with one based on my zip code. Like you just assign one to wherever, what, you know, zip code you're filing in. And they just tell you right away and they get all your reporting and then you just file it. Either way, everyone is still employed. The system still functions. It's just efficient. Yeah. And it's not a full. And then you don't also have to do a calendar crunch. You have like some solid ideas. Yeah. You, you're you're pretty good looking lady. Yeah. And you're pretty articulate. Are we running for office? Are we working no, on a political career? <laughs> you might be suited for it. I don't think I have the temperament for the snake pit of politics. Mm. I think I'm just, I think the, it's the same reason. More I the left. lion's den. Yeah. Drain the swamp, whatever. <laughs> drain the gator pit, whatever. So I, um, I did get selected into girls state in high school. The- what is it? That's what I said. And girls' so, date? Girls' state. Oh, girls' state. So every state in America, basically, uh, they have girls' state and boys' state. And what? each, like, there's a state. So I basically went to the the College of New Jersey. Okay. And for five days or six days, I stayed on campus. And it was a bunch of, like, hundreds of girls from all the districts of New Jersey who'd been selected for whatever curricula, like, whatever standards you're selected through. Um, and you learn about government and you vote for all these different positions throughout the week. And then, like... It's like a student government, like, model like, UN like kind of vibe. Exactly. But it's, like, Got immersive because you're living in it for five, sure. days. And I will never forget that experience because Michael Jackson died while I was on the computer researching mm. something to make a speech for an election. 2009. Yeah. And so it was a summer in between junior and senior year. And I got this email or this letter that said, like, you've been selected to Girl State. You should go to the, uh, what is it called? Old people from, like, the... Legion, the American Legion. Okay. And uh, they were like, you should report here to get all your paperwork. I was like, what did I get selected into? Wow. And another friend of mine had been accepted from school. So I knew it wasn't a total scam because she was going too. And so I just went for five days and learned about government. And I, before I remembered that my academics in high school were shit because I chose to only focus on uh, artistic classes, I was pursuing a political science major as an option. I'm not way off. Yeah. Yeah. And then I sort of just realized I, I'm not going to get into the colleges that would challenge me. I mm. don't really think the academic route is for me based on what I chose to pursue in high school. I had sort of backed myself into a corner where a BFA in the arts was appropriate for me. When did you find... Are your parents artistic people? Are they creative people? My mom is really creative. We co-created a book series together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we we can talk about that. Yeah. But was that a thing when you were younger or did she find that later? She was a communications major in school, which I feel like... Back the f- in the what 80s. What does that mean then? I feel like back in the 80s before we had social media. And is that like commu- speech and debate kind of stuff? Or is I it like digital communication stuff? I have stuff? a feeling it's a combination of written verbal communication. Okay. She worked before she and my dad started the company. Uh, she worked for a woman who ran a theater and arts organization in South Jersey when my parents first moved to South Jersey from the greater New York area. And she's always had a creative streak in her that way. She would paint our bedrooms growing up. Like we didn't have a painter come to our bedrooms. She did everything. Like she would do for like the nursery for my sister, she did little dinosaurs all across as like a little border. Like, like she got hand a little... drew them mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Oh yeah. That's pretty and dope. I like wanted to do a drip thing on my wall, like a drip, like a cool water pattern. And she just like figured it out and did it herself. Do you stay in the same house growing up? Oh yeah. We, they still live in the same house you were like born in? They stayed in it for like 20 years and they were done. Wow. Yeah. So they like were like after monogamous you... and now they move every year and a half. So. Oh, so like after you graduated... 
and and like went off and did your thing. They were like, all right, the family house is done totally. and now we're going to have a new era. New Jersey is really high in property taxes because of oh, the yeah. school system. So they right. also, basically when we were in middle school, my mom and dad wanted to think of moving us to Florida. My mom loves Florida. My grandparents, you know, my great grandparents. Again, bucking the stereotype of, totally of to get Jews ready moving for to this. Florida. Get ready. So my great grandparents had an apartment in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. Which is where every old person gets an apartment. It's where the sure. apartment collapsed a few years ago. Because right. they're all from the 30s or the right, 50s. Right. And, and they like knew they were fucked up and didn't fix it and all you that. You should see them all in person. Uh, and, and so my grandparents shared it with okay. my great aunt. And after my grandma passed away, my great aunt basically took over the whole apartment. So my mom wasn't able to just go to Florida and stay anywhere. You know, she had to, you know, figure out hotels and everything. And then there were just more of us. There were three children. So she and one of my aunts uh, decided that they would look at a condo in or an apartment in Florida and that we would share it. And we did for a handful of years. And it got to the point where any three or four day weekend we were in Florida at that place. Mm. And it got a little weird for me because not all of my friends went on vacations the way that we did because I viewed it as a vacation, not a split residence because we didn't permanently go to school there or anything. We just, right. we were there, you know, September to May, any three to four day weekend. Or Did you like break. it down there? Like, did you enjoy Florida being from New Jersey? I liked it a lot. I mean, I wasn't there in the summer. I was like a preteen. So like, what's not to love about beaches and pools and like drinking juice from like a juice shop and because sure. it's Miami. So there's all yeah. kinds of fun, fresh stuff that you just don't get in the suburbs of Jersey. Right. Of course. But I, I did recognize that it felt strange strange and it was starting to make me feel isolated from my friends. And I talked to my mom about it. Initially, the thought was maybe we would live there full time and my dad would spend tax season up north or mm -hmm. something like that. And I said to them, I really don't like this plan. I'm a freshman in high school. I have a few years left. Are you the oldest kid? I'm the oldest. And my younger ones, my younger siblings are going to be graduating soon enough too anyway. Like what we don't have a life in Florida that dictates a full-time life for us as kids. Like I would have to make all my friends over again. It's not like I have a bat mitzvah to invite anyone to. Like I'd be going right. to high school uh, three years at one school as a newbie. Like I just, I don't like the feeling of this. And sure. to my parents' credit, for multiple reasons, they chose to keep us in Jersey. And my sister's graduation party was terrific because they'd already bought the house in Florida and gutted it and renovated it. And they'd gotten, they'd cleaned out the house by the time my sister graduated high school. So her gotcha. party, her party was Saturday. They moved on Sunday. So they kind of took the hint, but then we're like, all right, fine. But when you guys are fucking gone, we're doing what we're going to do. Absolutely. And we, no, I don't think any of us hold it against them that they did that. Right. I think a couple, there are some feelings of, wow, we wish you hadn't purged as much stuff in the move down sure. the coast. Like we wish you would have kept a little bit more, but- in what way could I hold it against them paying all the money to maintain a house they don't need in a state that taxes them in a way that they they got what they needed. They got us all through a terrific school system. You said they moved. Where do they live now? They are in Florida. They're in Oh, they St. did in, eventually like take Florida the way, the way they wanted to. Yeah, they didn't move back to the East Coast. They moved more to the Tampa, St. Pete sure. area. And they've moved a few times since then, uh, not fully by choice, but I think they're now hoping to settle for a bit. And it's interesting because I grew up, I, 
you know, we moved when I was two to a bigger house to have a bigger family. But other than that, I mean, from two to 18, it was the same house. Right. They moved when I was 20... 324. I didn't even say goodbye to my house the last time. I didn't know the last time I was in my house. Gotcha. Because I was working on cruise ships. So yeah. I missed my sister's graduation party. Like I was home in December and it was we we hosted a sort of new year. Everybody see Shayna. She's been gone for eight months. Right. Kind of a, a get together with family, family, friends and everything. It's pretty cool. It was super nice. My parents hosted great parties growing up. It sounds like overall a yeah. pretty supportive family unit. Yeah. Like super... you guys are really invested in each other's lives and making yeah. sure everybody's happy. And, and like we put the fun part into functional. Like that's our joke is like because we are, we like to have fun as a group. It's, and it's even... a pretty good joke. I know, but it's, it's like right. not, it's not our original poster, you know? Oh no, of course not. Yeah. We That's didn't create it, but we just kind of like own it as a yeah. motto. Yeah. We just handle it as the mantra. I appreciate yeah. that. Like I think part of, uh, the other aspect of Judaism, just to continue circling back to it, it's a lot of our holidays are not meant to be commercial for a reason. Right. A lot of our holidays are derived from what's happening in the Lunar New Year. Yeah. Because our we follow a Lunar New Year for our holidays. Right. So when someone says, oh, Hanukkah's early, that means it's, you know, before December 1st or around December 1st. Right. Last year it was towards, like it was right after Thanksgiving. Yeah. So when someone says it's later, that means the lunar calendar is actually further into December than it was right. the year prior. So for example... Uh, Christmas, Easter, little brimstoney. If you think about what the holidays are like, you know, everyone has to get presents, but like the actual religious aspect of it is you go to church for part of it, but the meaning behind the holiday has been lost quite a bit over the years as the sure. commercial market's taken it over. And that's not a criticism because I think money is money and people want to make it and they should. Well, that, and also I think the thing that it's transitioned to as someone who fucking loves Christmas so yeah. much, it's one of my favorite things. And we, it does generate a beautiful time of everyone's hearts each yeah, year. It can, it can be the one of the best times of year. It's yeah. totally not what it used to be about, but I think yeah. that evolution has been kind of a good thing. Yeah. I was just talking to my wife at the end of last year uh, about how much I love how certain places just blow so much money yeah. on making it shiny and sparkly for a little yeah. while. And I'm like, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. Cause when you, if you do let yourself enjoy it, walking around like New York city at Christmas time, yeah. it's fucking gorgeous. Okay. I it's have so, the it's so rosy best and good Christmas story in New York. Okay. I was working on a, Gala that a lot of really big Broadway names were performing at. Okay. They were all performing songs from South Pacific. So okay. Daphne Rubin Vega, who originated the role of um, uh, Mimi in Rent on Broadway. Okay, yeah. And she was just in In the Heights, and she was performing Bally High the song from the musical. And she and the director had evidently rehearsed prior to this uh, gala, and Somewhere in transit, her Louboutins got lost that she was going to wear for the performance. So Christian Siriano was providing These dresses. Are shoes? Yeah, Christ, uh, got it. Um, Christian Louboutins are a fancy type of shoe. Not to be confused with Louis Vuittons. Correct. Also, Sounds not very to similar. be confused with Christian Siriano, who provided the garments. He's a very big designer. Okay. And so she had brought these, you know, 700 something dollar shoes to wear, and Goodness. they're missing. Her assistant can't find them. This the director is, its own play. is like, where are they? Right. And so it's after five o'clock. It's, it's curtain 
I think we started at seven or eight. It is after five thirty. Uh, it is it is like into the closing store time. Like stores are closing at this hour, uh, and it's the middle of December, and I'm at the Saint Regis, so like right off of Fifth Avenue where all the shops are. And they're like, can you just go take the director's card? Here's her shoe size. Here are her parameters for what she needs in a shoe and just find her a good one to wear and then we'll figure it out. I had to go to like Jimmy Choo and coach. And like, I went into like six, I'm like pushing through the crowds. It's like dinner time in New York and Christmas. I was like, get me the fuck out of this errand. So I was, I would um, take pictures of the shoes and I would text them to her her assistant. Her friend was helping her. And they would text back, like, does it have this kind of, like, because we didn't have time to treat the shoe so she wouldn't slip or anything. So we just had to, like, hope it would work. And, you know, you don't want to walk out on stage to sing your single song and not be able to walk gracefully. It would seem to me, and maybe it's because I'm a fella and a very practical yeah. person, that that would be more the priority than, like, exactly how they looked or how expensive they were. Like, just that give me exactly some shoes it. I'm not going to eat shit shit in. That's my number one well, concern. Well, the tall order is how do I make sure it's going to work if she's not there with me, but the performance started in 45 minutes. Well, that's what I'm so saying. It's like, just get exit. some shoes yeah. and then spend your extra time scuffing up the bottoms to make exactly. sure that they don't. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the tedium of production, uh, are we returning them or is she keeping them? Right, because right. we can't scuff them if they're getting returned and yeah, all of that. Shit. But she had parameters of like this height, this type of heel. Like if I haven't practiced in them a lot, I don't want to be in a type of shoe that's going to be okay. hard to practice in and stuff like that. I'm not going to get her a four and a half inch heel if she's okay. never worn it before. Right. Uh, so I was able to grab her a pair of shoes and, and shovel on back. And I got to her like five minutes before curtain and they were nice. perfect. What yeah. attracts, what, what attracted you? And at what point did you realize that solving those behind the scenes problems in that tight crunch was like your place in it? Cause as a stage manager, you sign up for yeah. like, that's your fucking job. Like, you know, some yeah. people, as a stage manager, you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, uh, calling it. That's a lot of the show, sure. But really, especially along the process of like what you're what you're doing as you do the show is solving problems. You're like, well, what the fuck are we going to do now? Like that's right. And then they come to you. I know this because as a directing student and then as someone that even now in my life, I, I now work in television, so I don't have a stage manager, but I have an assistant or I have an associate producer. Yeah, that I first have AD, AD track is the stage manager. And they're very much the same thing. And when I was at school, it was like this. And now it's like this, which is like, I am the right side of the brain in the room. My job is to make it funny, to make it make sense, to make it good to watch. Yeah. And then I need to turn to someone else who has done the paperwork and made sure the schedule makes sense. Like I need the right. you so badly and I can't imagine doing that job. So, so my, what calls you to that? The story that immediately comes to mind. So my freshman year of high school, I was quitting swimming. I had been a competitive swimmer right. my whole childhood and I knew that my shoulder wasn't going to hold up. And my orthopedic surgeon basically said to me, I don't need to operate on you. Nothing is torn, but everything is just so inflamed that it's just 
it's just your shoulder doesn't fit in your socket correctly right now. Goodness. So that's just not great. And I don't, he didn't want to do anything to me because they were still holding out hope that I'd grow a bit and my growth plates weren't done shifting. And you're at what height right now? <laughs> four eleven. What was that? Uh, four was eleven. That four like eleven. Half, three quarters. <laughs> depends on the chiropractor. You just tell people. Can you just ever tell anyone just five foot no, even? No, I can't do it. You feel like it's false. It's total misleading. Like I've Got never it. cracked it on the on the rule. Like on the um, thing at the doctor's office right. when they like pull the thing out of the scale. Yeah. Uh, I've just never, I just never hit that so point. So the growth didn't happen. The swimming was not a long-term yeah. thing. And I needed a club, like I needed activities. Community. And so my high school super competitive Hebrew academically. high was not enough. <laughs> no, if you don't graduate from my high school with at least one varsity letter, one or two uh, sort of non-for-profit charitable type activities and a couple other artistic, like you have to be super well-rounded to graduate from my high school. Wow. The average, uh, like for example, I had a- kicked out freshman year. Right. I had a 3.3 out of four GPA and a something over six out of seven weighted. And I was top third of my class. Yeah. I was only top third of my class, which is remarkable because I didn't bother to do homework or anything. Like I, my dad was like, I used to get really- worked up about being less intelligent than my younger sibling because we have a bona fide mm. genius in my family Got it. and it's the That's sibling tough. immediately after me school wise and it's right. like what do you mean you understand calculus in your 10 i'm six like it's i like, i can't they're figure. behind but they're ahead oh my gosh mentally thousands of years ahead it's really remarkable like uh jeremy graduated with three majors and two minors and to this day, I still can't remember them all correctly because, you know, we've had how many conversations about it? At some point, you're like, you manage your own success. Correct. You know, it's not my job to keep it all straight. Well, my dad would say to me, and he still does to this day, he, he says, how would you ever know if you're intelligent or not? You are probably so much smarter than you realize because you graduated top third of your class and you barely cracked open a textbook all four right. years. If you could half-ass your way through that school, you could have actually been valedictorian if you tried. Yeah, maybe, maybe but you but didn't like, want to do that. No, science and math. If you wanted to do it, you would have done it. You just exactly. didn't want to do it. Critic, uh, there's a type of thinking that works with my brain, and it's critical thinking where there is a solution that I know I'm working to. If mm. it's just aimless formula plugging... I can't figure that out. So there are just types of math and sciences that I cannot physically, like I would do so much extra homework and extra, uh, not extra credit, but those after class sessions, like in middle school, I remember I was really struggling with one math teacher and the other math teacher, I swam with his kids and I knew Mr. Thompson and he was super chill. So I would go to his class once or twice a week after school for help. And I still couldn't get it. So I just, I was like, it's me. It's gotta be me at this point. So I, I, I definitely recognized all my various limitations and I had, a. Going into high school, my friends and I sat and we basically looked at this multiple page pamphlet of all the clubs at East, at Cherry Hill East. And we, a few of them were going to start doing stage crew. And I had a couple of friends that had gone to the schools before me and I was friends with them. And they basically said, this was the early days of Facebook where we posted all of our business. Right. And like right after it became not just college. Totally. And Molly and Hannah, these twins were basically like, we do stage crew. You should 
come join us? And I went, yeah, sure, okay. And I went. So you went right into stage crew. You oh, weren't yeah. a performer first. Oh, no, 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 no. Because a lot of stage managers were like actors for 20 minutes no, or something. I was and then a they were carpenter. Like, eh. I was a scenic painter. I did electrics backstage during shows. I did everything but perform. So fundamentals were like, you were ready for that shit. Because totally. you had already kind of dipped your toe. Yes. And this was a really advanced arts program. Like our school, a couple years before I joined, like when I was in fourth or fifth grade, the high school that I went to did Les Mis and they won every state award for performing arts you could to the point that they haven't even been nominated since because it was just like a clean sweep of a I was in fourth grade I wasn't even in high school that was before that I was 10 years old uh and the kid in class that everyone used to mistake us as twins he was cast as Gavroche and one like young actor in the state and I had this recovered memory a few years ago therapeutically I always have been keen on performing but I've always had I just will self-sabotage anytime I'm in a position to. Mm. And in fourth grade, they basically told all the blonde hair children in the school district who were in choir, who the choir teachers thought were good, that they should audition to be in Les Mis because they needed young Cosette and young Gavro- and course, Gavroche. Yeah. So this, my friend, Matt Bennett, blonde, adorable. Everyone used to think we were twins. Happened a lot. Uh, he got cast as one young best uh, actor in the state. My, the class, the girl below me got cast as Cosette. And my mom, when I handed her the flyer, looked at it and said, well, it conflicts with Hebrew school. So you can't go to the audition. Oh, wow. And I didn't even think to push for it. And it's like, I think I have always had this interest in the arts, but I always assumed I was meant to be an observer. Mm. And so complete tangent from everything I was just explaining about the origins of stage management as a form of therapy. No, but I asked the question about whether or not you're a performer and that, that sure. sounds like very much like your first opportunity. And yeah. though you were denied it and not really given the chance yeah. to try, it's not like you resented that forever totally. and were like, fuck, I should have been an actress and she ruined so it. So I played multiple instruments growing up. I played the flute, I, I played piano cool. and I did choir. I did choir up until I grad un- until my freshman year of college. Okay. When I grad, I was in, I also played the handbells. I was in two nice. handbell groups. You should have led with school. that. <laughs> you should be leading with if the handbells. If you need to know why I'm trying to be cool, I'm not leading with that. So in high school, I... My senior year of high school, I was in school at 7.30 every morning to do rehearsals before homeroom with my handbell choir. Right, of course. It was 12 girls, 12 or 14 girls. We sang and played handbells at the same time, anywhere from two to four uh, per person, per song. And I was also in an all-handbell group that rehearsed on Tuesday afternoons. And then I was in choir. What... Explain handbells if they don't already know. Handbells are those things that they play outside the Salvation Army, but like the correct musical version of them with correct technique. Right. And they each are assigned like a note. So I, if I want to play a C and an E flat, I have to play two handbells. Right. And so I was in a group, you know, to be able to play a song, there are lots of notes in a song, especially if you've got, I don't know, key changes or anything, or if you want to do a medley. So for example, my senior year, my friend did an arrangement of Here Comes the Sun. A lot of key changes in there. Sure. Really fun, really good challenge. We all were playing 
two to four handbells per girl in that song, which is really challenging because to play a handbell, you're holding it. If you're holding one in one hand, you're going like this. Right. If you're holding two, you have to then adjust the angle of your hand to get the right bell to go. You know what I think of when I think of handbells? How nuts I am. <laughs> well, that now too, because I can't believe I didn't know that. But also, you know that fucking commercial that comes on in December where the little Hershey's Kisses play? Yes. Fuck, what Christmas song is it? Da, 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 da. Is it Carol of the Bells? I don't know if it's Carol no. of the Bells. No, I think that's it's, the Clydesdales. That's the one they do yeah, with the horses for Budweiser. I can't remember which one it is, but they they it's I, I think of this because I recently had this huge argument with my dad. So the there's a a classic commercial that comes on every Christmas. And uh I think it's We Wish You a Merry Christmas. It's like doom 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 doom. And the little the yeah. little like Hershey's kisses play like handbells. Yeah. And it's been on TV since like forever, 1987. I looked this up because really? I, I, yeah, because I was talking to my dad. Because you love Hershey Kisses. And handbells. <laughs> and I was like, hey dad, you know that commercial <laughs> with the Hershey's Kisses where they play the song? And he's like, no. And I'm like, dad, the, every fucking year they play the same commercial so on I'm TV and nausea. I'm familiar with it. I'm not as like gung-ho about it because but I- But you know what I'm talking about. I'm familiar with it. He is 30 it. years older than me and insisted he's never seen it. And is I'm like, that's impossible. Is he the generation that flips channels to avoid commercials? No. Oh. No. He, that was my dad. I wish he did. He never he watches. He just lets my dad them would, happen to oh. us. It's horrific. And then I was like, okay, well, let's go a little bit further. Do you at least remember the commercial with the M&Ms where Santa comes out and they come around the corner and they both go, they are real and fall down. And he's like, no, I've never seen that. Oh, that's I'm like, not You're the one I thought you were going to tell me about. I don't know that one. That one has also been around since like 1992 and they play it every single Geographical Christmas. Geographical marker, Mr. Hershey's Kisses. I grew up a couple hours right. from Hershey Park. Yeah, you're not so far we away went, from the home. Yeah, one winter, like Christmas break, my sister was like a baby. She was still like in cribs and pack and plays. Got it. So we, my parents schlepped us to Hershey Park for a weekend for the Christmas holiday because right. what did Jews do? And so sure. the hotel we stayed at, the Hershey Hotel or whatever it is, uh, the power or electrical line they shared with something down the street had a fire. Oh, shit. So the electrical line had gotten uh, involved in the fire. Lights I don't, off. I, uh, sort of. In the middle of the night, the alarm goes off and we could smell smoke. Oh, shit. And I just remember my mom opening the door and coming back in, grab the children. And so it's like, I'm going to say two in the morning. That's arbitrary. I don't remember. But we were all in the lobby, all the families, all wow. the children. We're in the lobbies. We're in our pajamas. We're in our coats. No one's looking thrilled. Right. They give us all chocolate in the middle of the night to just like, sh and keep the children and humans and like to keep the adults sure. and the children entertained. Good and it was them. just like, keep the humans happy. And it, eventually we all went back to our rooms and went back to bed. But that's my Hershey and well, also musically speaking, I went to a really great district for the arts, a school district for the arts growing up. We used to do in middle school and high school, we used to do competitions. Got so it. I used to go to competitions at Hershey Park. They have a hockey arena for more minor hockey leagues. Uh, we'll play games there. And so I would go and compete once a year, either in band for flute or for choir or both. And I would go compete there once or twice a year. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I definitely have a musical side to me. I haven't ever, like I've 
I was not built to sing solo in front of people. Got it. I do well in groups that way. Uh, so you don't dig the singled out attention. <sighs> no, I had I can the worst. Tense, I can sense <laughs> your tension just talking about yeah. it. Yeah, and stage fright was very real. Like I at one point. So my freshman year, we did Beauty and the Beast, and I'll get to the story I was about to tell you through the journey year. of stage management. Yeah. So my freshman year, we did Beauty and the Beast, and I was on stage crew, and I was really little. So the way that we built this set, there was like one side of the castle was the West Wing, the other side was the other wing that, but it was just like part of it. It became the line library in act two. So it was like two octagons that rotated at different points in the show. Like they would detach from the main set of the castle and then they would move across the stage and they move because we were underneath inside of them. They built like a little cubby hole for the big seniors and then little tiny Shayna who could fit under stuff to go push along a glow tape pathway. Wow. Uh, This was high school. And so no automation, but it was my sort of first foray into doing it. And I remember I had one scenic transition to do and I was upstage and the girl one of the girls playing bell because each show we did had a double cast okay because we had so many kids doing the yeah, show yeah they always do that shit totally so one of the girls playing bell had to change from one dress to the other and i just remember her come her standing backstage going who's gonna help me change my dress and i just looked at her and i went i'll help like i right. just i never wanted to say no like i couldn't get enough of this roll up your sleeves and like get something done yeah i just had never experienced that before because i'd never done anything with purpose that way like if I swam, it's to swim a race. Like I didn't do that anymore. Uh, when like I sort of just fell out of playing the flute and piano. Like I kind of just ended them because I didn't want to anymore. Yeah, lost interest. It happens. Yeah, that's and the I, cool thing about being yeah. supported when you're a kid is you get to try a bunch of shit and a bunch of it totally. you quit because you're like I don't fucking do karate anymore. Yeah. I don't care. Like I just I hit a point with piano where I went I know I'm never gonna do this. Like I think subconsciously my brain went you're never doing this for a living so you may as well just mm. quit now. I didn't stop enjoying it. I just didn't feel any desire. Like nothing There's drew no me to the piano there. anymore. Got which it. is like it's good and bad to have ADD. <laughs> yeah. No, ADD can help you figure out really quickly what you like and what you have no patience but for. But it's problematic when your parents like pay for lessons for something and they're like, really, you're going to quit? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess but it I, depends too, on the parents, but I, yeah. I would say firmly. And We've I set did up a, this whole routine for you to love something and now you just drop it. Like I, and well, I, yeah, but that's being a kid. Totally. Like you just, you like something for a while. I played t-ball. I did karate. Yeah. I played the drums. You played Jew. I, I played Jew for a while. <laughs> Um, I, <laughs> it was a miracle of miracles. <laughs> I tried a lot of things and, uh, I, I, some of them I carried on yeah. later. I got into drumming again sure. because I had the experience, but you drum. Yeah. We have a really cool band name happening. I, that's, is the that right? The Bells and the Beats. I don't know. Oh, Come on. That's a great idea. I would absolutely busk on the subway with that. All of this. What is the um, other one we said earlier? Uh, it was the, the goth, goth Jew. Well, uh, I mean, obviously that's CW the garage show. band. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was in a My Chemical Romance cover band at School of the Arts. And so I've, no. kind, of already, I've kind of already done the goth Jew thing in a way. <laughs> that's um, great. That's true. Um, so that was sort of how I discovered that interest. You enjoyed that. And it, then, you got the joy yeah, out of helping the things happen. Totally. And then the next year, 
my academics had dropped off so much. My parents were like, we are cutting off how much you get to do theater. So I only did props that, that spring for the spring musical. Uh, and I punished because you found something you loved in well, a way I, to be fair. I was like not doing well in my actual classes. Yeah. But neither was I. And I ended up making a great career out of it. And yeah, I would, you know, they you just let me from, lean into it. And I think that works too. If I had gone to like an arts magnet or if I had pushed to go to an arts magnet, I think they would have been supportive, right. but I didn't, they were what, worried what you wouldn't graduate and shit. I I think they just felt like I, I think they just wanted to make sure I would get out of school what every kid is supposed to get. Which is what? A degree. And so I- I mean diploma. Right. Like your high school diploma. Right. And I, I just, I think they were just, were like I had- They I, really valued that education. Oh, sure. And I came from That's traditionally the difference. academic My parents, parents were like, if you fuck this up, high, who cares about high school? My mom right. didn't even graduate high school. Well, there's a huge difference. Yeah. My- my even my grandmothers went to college, and so I come from like a very educated. Oh, god! And it. so it's very I was the first expected one to go to college. Well, congratulations. Yeah, sure, whatever. Well, even you know. that wasn't a big deal because like my first way well, was to some people. Well, it's something to you. It well, it, but again, I don't even have a BFA. I have the arts diploma that they barely really? even do anymore. Yeah, because I didn't go to academics. Because I fully was like, I'm not good at that kind Here's of school. Here's what kind of a, here, the academics that drove me are like the English, like anything where you can dissect and analyze something. I had a great English teacher, sophomore and then senior year of school. I had two great English teachers, Miss Cunningham and Miss Bafke. And I always credit them because they changed how I think about text. And the sure. that's part of why I'm creative now right. is because of them. I can look at things and see why they do or don't work. And that's yeah. part of why I thought I was a good stage manager, but it turns out stage managers aren't meant to give creative input in a way that benefits a show the traditional way that a member Correct. of the creative team does. Right. I can Unless give you're my, in a very unconventional environment where they're if like, I'm going to step think? in as the AD right. once the show is running or right. something. Right. So I, but I like, I learned how to analyze literature through them. Sure. So I, where was I going with this? So I just learned what it was like to read something and just go, why is this significant? Where are the things that have come since then that have taken inspiration from it or things that maybe didn't even realize? It's like that Devil Wears Prada thing yeah. where, where Andy doesn't realize that the sweater was influenced by some fashion shoot two years before. Right. And so that was really Great cool for analogy. me. Great analogy. Off the top of the we're head. Gonna, we're going to bring classic <laughs> literature into Devil Wears Prada. Not everyone Another can do that. Another good novel. Yeah. Novel before movie. Now it's a I've musical. Heard, I've read that, but yeah. And, Not uh, read the book. I read that it is a book. I had a feeling. Yeah. Uh, since you don't know the Louboutin, Gabbana, you know. Jesus God, no. <laughs> so it's that goth Jew thing. And so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed that. And in college, I started at one BFA program and I didn't feel like I was getting out of it Where what I that? needed. I went to Mason Grove School of the Arts at Rutgers. Okay. And that was a department going uh, through a lot of changes while I was a freshman. And I can't hold it against anyone educator in that program. I think it was just the time that I was a student. I had, there. I had a first school and that's exactly yeah. what happened. I got accepted by a guy basically because, um, that asked me to come to his program because he saw me as uh, John Proctor in the crucible when I was a senior. Right. And that's then, not weird. And the, what? <laughs> I liked you in this play. Come be in my school. No. That's normal. No, that's no. Totally I normal. think that's it was an terrific. acting program. It's less predatory when it's not 
predatory in hindsight. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, it didn't matter anyway because he died that summer. Oh, so yeah, God. yeah. How do you feel now? So he <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I, he invited me in like oh. the spring, and then I was like, "Oh, that's where I'm going to go." I have no academic record to speak of. It was this tiny community what college. Was this? Uh, it was a community college in Northeast Texas. You've told me this. Yeah. Okay. It's, it was called, uh, it used to be called Henderson County Community, I think. And then when I went there, it was called Trinity Valley Community College. Boy, they just roll right off the tongue, both yeah. of them. Yeah, not bad. And well, it commonly gets, when I would say it, they would be like, oh, Trinity University in San Antonio. And I was like, no, the not other university. One. No, we didn't earn We're that college. title. <laughs> but it was one of those like, it was one of the, it was one of those, like, I thought I was doing shit with my life because I got to go away to community college. At least I got to like not be in my hometown. They had dorms. So, um, I thought that was a huge deal. And, uh, so, but yeah, when I got there in the fall, the number one had died over the summer. The number two took over the program. Right. They hired a new number two. That was the whole program was like two people. Right. And I was like, this was barely a good idea. When it was oh, a prestigious thing. Oh, I've gotten myself thing. in a shitty situation. And now I'm here. And and not only that, it was, I get to take some theater classes, but you're making me take fucking academic shit again. I told you guys I don't want to do this. So I fully resigned to not go to college at all. Yeah. Then my best friend, Brandon Harris, was in the drama program uh, in like class 2010. Right. And he was like, you should come check out School of the Arts. And right. I was like, dude, I fucking told you I fucking suck at school. I barely graduated. I didn't even walk because I didn't go to class and I didn't have enough hours to graduate. So I had to like come clean trash cans over the summer so that the vice principal could hand me my diploma in July. Like I hate school, man. It's my least favorite thing I've ever done right. in my life. And he was like, but this is different. And they even have a track where you don't have to take academic classes at all. You can literally and just take just art class all right day. Up. And I was like, so you're saying from like 9 a.m. in the morning to like 11 o'clock at night, I could do nothing but theater the whole time. And he was like, right. And I was like, sold. Fuck. All right. I'll try yeah. it out. I'll try. I actually thought about the film school for yeah, a minute. And that then would I, have made so much sense too. Yeah. But I was like, I, I, well, I ended up starting in DMP. I right. started in lighting and then and I, I went to drama. And I missed you because I transferred and it right. didn't overlap with your time as a lighting exactly. uh, major. What, what graduate, uh, what year did you graduate high school? For, uh, gra I graduated in 2010 and then I went right into college. Got it. So I graduated in 06. Right. So either way I was, we were kind of doing this and yeah. just happened to overlap a little. Um, but anyway, happily, very happy. Oh, it yeah, happened. absolutely. You've been a great friend over the years. And that's very sweet of you to say. I agree 100%. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was an unconventional path, but it sounds like I, I love that you figured that out and have yeah. that kind of self assuredness. And I want to, because we only have so much time. Yes. I oh, want to talk time about. How left? We'll see. Okay. We'll see how much juice we get out of this next okay. section. Um, but I want to talk about the cruise ship thing. Yeah. How did you get into that? And then Another what, how, how much have you enjoyed that? I never thought I'd never, I did not grow up going onto cruise ships at all. And I totally graduated school of the arts, assumed I was going to go straight to New York, have that traditional pathway. That style. The, yeah. The thing that the school was really into promoting is like the pathway to do things. And I interestingly never worked on a musical at school of the arts. I worked on multiple operas, dance, a lot of plays. I just never did a musical and I, but I, all of my internships were musical theater driven. Got it. So I had supplemented it that way. I was supposed to go be in some capacity of stage management, uh, at 
a festival in Colorado for the summer. Got it. And one day I got what looked like a spam email and it was a third party recruiter for Royal Caribbean offering me this stage staff position, which is the stage crew on the cruise ship and then easy ascension to management. And I went, sure, sure, sure. And I met with her. I Zoomed with her. I talked with her before I Zoom was what it is now. And I went, eh, Sure put it in the roster of opportunities. And she just kept offering me things. And I kept saying, no, not right now. I'm busy. And she basically sent me this one itinerary and um, a really appealing itinerary. And she said, this is the last offer I'm going to make you because you've been rejecting all the other ones since March. It Got was it. now the middle. No, I'd been rejecting her since the fall or winter. Cause it was now March, April. And I looked at it and I went, Oh, Alaska. Oh, Hawaii. Oh, Australia. Pretty cool. It sounds good to me. I'm really not loving the whole freelance thing. I never have. And I said, sure, sh- screw it. And so I went and worked as a stage staff. I wasn't even a management position on my first ship. And I went to an older Royal Caribbean ship and had a very interesting time. Did you do the Cirque thing at school? Like when they would, were they still doing that while you were there? When I they never would did come a and do, internship. No, but they would come to, so when I was a first year in DMP, that was the beginning of a thing that I know they did for a while. I don't know how long they kept doing it where basically Cirque came and did like almost a, um, what the fuck do you call that? You know, in high school, when you go to the like a gym, workshop or like a, like a, um, an assembly. a job fair. Yeah. Oh, so mm-hmm. Cirque came and did a job fair and that's like, I had always thought cruise ships were cool, but that's yeah. where my real thing of thinking I was heading on that track because freshman year when I was in lighting, Cirque came, did a job fair. They had all these little mini classes where you come and sit and listen to them talk about what they did. Yeah. And there was a, a chick who was there who was like doing a, uh, not a master class, but like a basically right. a Q&A about like working on cruise ships and uh, doing theater shit. And I was like, and she really specifically was like lighting great gig super easy gig she was like you set it up and once it's all set and time code yeah yeah, and especially if you're the designer and you're not that like me hitting the button every day you're there in case something goes wrong so on cruise ships there's only one position if you're a resident designer who oversees shows you're constantly an install which does suck but if you're the person on board you are the technician who fixes everything you are also the one who programs and designs looks for guest entertainers right so it's a sweet gig. You might put in a couple hours on heavier sea day itineraries when you have more guest entertainers. Uh, You're still not doing what you would do in tech for an IOTC show. Right, right. It's a great gig to be a specialist. Travel and you got, you know, if if you can find a situation where you're not paying rent at home and you're out on the boat. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is going to be the thing, especially with having nothing tied down. They weren't doing that anymore when you were there? No, I don't remember any cruise ship or circuit. Well, there was a Cirque du Soleil presence at Job Fair and also through USITT, which I went to, they would always hook us up with them. Got it. We definitely had Cirque relationships. We sort of had- there's so many school of the arts oh kids fucking in that industry. So many. And by the time I got there, they didn't do those anymore to my knowledge, but we did get FaceTime with them at job fairs and cool. stuff, to the, depending on which representative was there. But you I, didn't have that in your head at all while you were at school. It wasn't until afterwards. Interestingly, at USITT senior year, I met with the Disney team for the parks. Got and it. I had previously applied to be the SM apprentice position at the parks. And I knew that I was in the top 10 candidates nationwide to be one of these two people they hire because the woman basically told me as much because she cool. would have been the person I interviewed with next. And I said, well, that's cool. I also got 
got an interview for a theater internship with a guest director from UNCSA. And she said, well, I'm from that town. I think that's a great theater. And I can't guarantee that you're going to get the internship. I want to guarantee it to you, but I ultimately don't get to make the call. Mm. And I want you to have guaranteed work because I think you have a lot to offer. So she basically advised me to take the internship. Miserable experience. But during that time, she introduced me to Feld Entertainment. Feld Entertainment oversees oversaw what used to be the Ringling Circus, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And they oversee like the monster trucks. They oversee Disney on ice, which was her connection to knowing them. Got it. And so I submitted an application to be an associate production manager for the big, for the circus essentially. And during this internship, they kept interviewing me and interviewing me. And I was like, cool. And then they basically said, we're going to have you come visit us in Texas. We're stationed in Texas for a couple of weeks. We want you to come do a site visit and we think we're going to make you an offer. Uh, we want you to, you know, be able to join us right away. And I went, wow, wow, that's fast. And they said, yeah, well, the person left us for another opportunity. So we just really need to get someone in quickly. And, and we position think you're to fill. absolutely cool to be the associate production manager on a national major circus. And I would have had like a third of a train car to myself as my cat. Like I would have had like a very sweet gig there. And they flew me out. It was amazing. It was it sounds a, like that didn't happen. It did not because I, for whatever reason, had it in my head that theater was the pathway I needed to pursue. She said no. And so I turned them down. So later on about a year later, like about a year later, I was getting this opportunity to do ships and I went, well, you turned down a full-time job with benefits last time this happened. You'd be kind of stupid to like not take, take a, a sure while. thing. Doesn't that have to be forever? Yeah. It's a six and a half, seven and a half month contract. And you, it's not a so, terrible idea for you to have health insurance because you have some, oh, some issues. Yeah. And like, you know, ship health insurance means you go to the ship doctor. <laughs> you don't actually get real help with you need oh, specialist do you not care. Get Okay. Not, you don't get the help you need. Right. If you hurt a limb on the ship and you have to hope it's not broken or else you get medically discharged from your contract. It's like the school nurse. Yes. Like here's an ice pack. But (laughs) I had great care for some of the things that I needed on the ship. I used to get migraines and they would give me a liquid cocktail, one in each arm, one for pain medicine, one to make me sleep out the pain. Fuck yeah. Not healthy, but yeah. No, but dope. I <laughs> mean, I'd go right back to work. So a way to party. So yeah, and so I, I I eventually finished up that contract. And Mitchell Anderson, who's a SM alum from UNCSA, love Mitchell. Love Mitchell. Appreciate the hell out of him. He started with Norwegian Cruise Line, graduated to Disney, and he reached out to me when he saw that I was doing ships and really asked, you know, how's it going? And we had some really frank discussions about it. And he said, well. I think you would like the bigger ships at NCL. They do book shows like you're, we're sort of trained to get used to working on. I think there's something you would really like about them. They've got more traditional SM positions than you would see on Royal. Mm -hmm. And I just think you'd be a good fit for them. And I'll make the intro if you would like. And he did. And I immediately got hired and I thought I was going back to New York and it turned out they made me an offer like my second day on land back. Wow. So I immediately just got myself off the lease in New York and moved all my things back to my parents in New Jersey who immediately moved it to Florida. Right. And so I transferred to NCL, Norwegian Cruise Line, and I was put as a rehearsal ASM on Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Super fun musical. Sure. And then I was an install team member, which is when you rehearse in the rehearsal studios with the new cast, and then you go to the ship and you say goodbye to the old cast and you put in the new cast. And then 
I left, but the production stage manager stayed and did six months with that cast as their go-to point person. Got and it. she oversaw. So the way that the bigger ships work for Norwegian is you have your primary venue with your book shows, like your million dollar quartets, your after midnights, your Jersey boys. They, I think, just announced Footloose. And then you've got your more niche venues. So the some of the NCL ships have a Cirque Dream show, which is a smaller, more contained version of Cirque du Soleil. It's a different company. And it's also ship-friendly. And you can't do certain things on a oh, ship that you right. can do on land, yeah. safety-wise. And like fire and stuff? Just the way, like, uh, certain hand-to-hand. -hand, like, you can do a lot on a ship, but... There, the way that everything is built and rigged on a cruise ship is built so that if there is a worst case scenario, it sustains. And so you can't, you're also like limited. Like what's off the table? You like have what limited would you be storage like, ah, we can't space. Do that. Like I wouldn't, like the, um, I forget what it's called, but in Cirque, there's this act where these guys, like they run on the thing and it's spinning and they like run and jump from thing to thing. I think it's in a Franco Dragon show or it's in a Cirque okay. show. And you would never, first of all, you wouldn't have the space on a ship for that. Right. But uh, just mechanically, you kind of have to build stuff to be semi-sustainable. You can do silks. You can do juggling. You can do juggling with all kinds of objects. You can do some hand-to-hand, -hand, but you have to... Um, it just, it all works a little bit differently it's because limited. it's on a ship. It's a little bit, it has to Got be it. a little bit more set. Even right. if it's improv, it's a little bit set because you have parameters. Okay. Because you also don't necessarily have the luxury of like regular spot ups who can just pick you up because it's what they do every day. Like sure. most, you know, you're not going to have that in a round tent style venue on a cruise ship where you have a lighting person for the whole venue. Almost like, I mean, it is literally traveling, even though you're not picking you're it up and moving it. But you're, yeah, it's a tour thing. So it's it, designed you can't the way it's on install tour. it like you would in Vegas or some Absolutely. shit. Absolutely. Got it. It's designed the way a tour is designed in that it's contained, but the yeah. creativity within the design is really great. Got it. In, from what I've seen. And so the ship I was put on uh, for a six-month contract, the Norwegian Escape, I did two, two contracts on there. We had in our primary theater, we had a production stage manager who oversaw After Midnight and a different book show called For the Record. The company is based in LA and they basically take genres or sequences of things and do like mashup musicals so ours was the brat pack and nice. it was all the john hughes 80s yes. cool fun movies Fuck yeah so that i know so the names fun. of and stuff like that totally. less so than a lot of the theater shit yes that's pretty I cool that's pretty commercial very commercial oddly after midnight seemed a little bit more received i think because it was just um the other show, I think for the record, like you don't go in expecting it to be what it is, which is kind of a cool experience. But at the same time, if you're expecting to like sit down and watch a musical and it's just like rock and roll for like 90 minutes, you walk out of the theater like, what did we just do? It feels more like a concert than a It definitely play. feels more like a concert, which is not a bad thing. I've never had more fun calling a show. Great. It's the designer, Mike Berger, very good friend. Uh, he can design a hell of a show to call. Like hell we yeah. had over 600 light cues in 90 minutes. That's what I'm talking we about. We used to have to write Ricola and water breaks into our scripts. Wow. Fucking balls awesome. Like ball the wall show call. And that's that great. and that's a show that you definitely can't like we time coded certain things like video was linked to lighting. Thank God because you couldn't physically call video like you with wouldn't lighting be able to, there. Yeah, exactly. Unless you were calling unless you were calling both at the same time but then like you can't always guarantee they're syncing that way. 
And so, so basically we had the one theater has their one person who oversees that venue. And then there's the supper club venue on the Norwegian escape. And we had, they took the, for the record, the Brat Pack out of the supper club as a resident show and moved it to the theater. So the first two months I was on board, it was hellacious because we went from installing the new cast of After Midnight into putting a whole new musical in there. You're basically in tech all day and then you're doing guest entertainer shows at night. Mm. So whatever you're teching during the day, you have to build into the schedule change over time so that you can not only rehearse a guest entertainer, but change the theater over for that person's show. What does guest entertainer mean? Is like they are the people who come on or just doing stand up or something? All of the above. They will come on for anywhere from one to four weeks. Shorter term. Totally shorter term contracts and they will do uh we you get like a juggling act a magician act tribute shows like tribute bands anything that keeps a guest entertained for one or two shows a night once a week got it and there's also different performance venues around the ship so we had a comedy club in a different venue that also doubled with howl at the moon so late night dueling piano so the comedians would do a late night sort of they would do family sets at seven and nine one day a week in our main theater and then adult at 11. Hell yeah. So that was sort of our way to fill in guest entertainer content throughout the week using the con- the content of of the comedians the club, on board. Yeah, that's cool. Super cool. And then in the supper club, we just had constant rotating guest entertainers and we sort of got our roster of like the usual five or six. Mm. So we had like a regular dinner act that was one act contracted for like a year. But the performers within that group change because of maritime law. If you're if you're on the board, if you're on board for more than 28 days, you kind of have to be a full time employee. Okay, and then you have that changes completely the name of the game with how you are getting. You can't get a guest entertainer cabin on board. You have to do the proper safety trainings. You can't just get one small briefing. You have to Got get like it. a full in depth safety card. And you, I hear it's, that. It's, yeah, it's, it's a it different. More it's the contractually you're limited to 28 days at a time. So who was the best guest entertainer you saw while you were there? Oh gosh, there were so many. Um, my favorite comedian who I, I love Dean Edwards because he's become a very dear friend of mine. Okay. He only did one or two stints on the escape, uh, as a, as a comedian. It was his first time doing cruise ships and he, uh, has had, uh, he was on SNL from 2001 to 2003, I believe. Okay. His first show was supposed to be, his first day reporting to SNL was supposed to be September 11th, 2001. Oh shit. And so his first show at as a cast member was... Oh, yeah, I've seen this guy. Yeah, Dean's great. And so he just had a way to him. He was really open. He Because he wasn't jaded about ships yet, and I had to do a safety briefing as his sort of overseer for the whole contract. Totally. I sort of like just hung out and bonded. And I was like, his comedy is different because he didn't come in here with only cruise ship oriented jokes. His comedy is, that is what about a lot the, of comics did a lot just of jokes comics, about being on a boat. A lot of comics who specifically do cruise ship work will joke about cruise ships. Is that like a niche area of <clears throat> comedy? Totally. There are comedians who primarily do cruise ships and the huh. same thing with magicians and cover bands. Sure. It's sure. Like a whole industry. That makes sense. I know people whose entire professional career is cruise ships. When did you decide that you didn't want to be on cruise ships anymore? Uh, it was a mutual decision between me and NCL. Yeah? <laughs> I, they changed my position. So my first contract, I was not a PSM in charge of any one venue. I was considered the swing. 
So musical. They do that for stage managers. I think of that term in terms of like actors and musicians. Same here. And it was a relatively, it was a newer position because of their bigger ships being newer to the fleet. They were basically realizing, fuck, if our stage manager goes down, like if our PSM goes down and can't call a show, like let's say someone gets GI, like gets norovirus on board and they're out for like four days. Okay. Who the fuck is going to run the theater? And also, like, who's the backup for all these other positions? Because you understudy PSM. I understudied PSM, every crew position except automation for obvious safety reasons. The production manager who oversaw all the crew on board, the stage crew on board for all the different theaters and all the different mini performing venues like the pubs and the lounges. He covered automation in the event that there was an automation change out or someone was sick and couldn't do the job. Okay. I did every other hair, makeup, wardrobe. It was awesome. Really? I got to create continuity backstage and on stage. It just sounds like a lot of it was so much work. It was great. It kept me entertained and allowed me to get because if you're rehearsing, you're getting bored totally. And if you're when you're ADD helping you out, sure. And I also think. I'm used to being in a rehearsal room and then teching a show and then maintaining a show. Right. I knew the shows a little bit from the rehearsal room, but I was not in after midnight for all of the rehearsals. I sat in on one or two to get to know the team because I happened to be living at my parents' house in Tampa, Florida. I wasn't there to get to know the show. I like on purpose. Right. It was a bonus. And so I signed on and was like, how the fuck am I supposed to call a show? I don't know. Or like my, basically one of my first contracts on board the job of an opener is to get the ship in motion. The okay. job of a second contract holder is to archive everything. Got it. Now that the ship is open, it's an operation. You have to stabilize it for the rest of however long that, it that runs. That sounds boring. It's a little tedious, but it also just means you keep a keen eye to everything. Right. So my first two weeks on board, I was handing over one of our our uh, hair and makeup person was signing off and she didn't have a handover for After Midnight, and After Midnight has wigs for almost every female character. So there's a lot that needs to go on there. It's a lot. And I knew that the girl who was coming on board wouldn't need me to teach her maintenance because there was a whole Bible that had been prepared for her, but she needed someone to teach her the physical track of the show. Mm -hmm. So that was my first coverage. Then I gradually would cover, we had multiple wardrobe tracks. So I would cover those and I would help, and it helped everyone out because I was a trained stage manager and I knew theater. Not everyone comes into ships and does theater there with the same background. You can work your way into being a stage crew, a stage staff member, which is amazing because it allows people from third world countries, the ability to take Bonafide experience. Like I saw someone from the engineering team and I, I, he, over my two contracts, Jeff is now a career stage staff on cruise ships and he was in the engine team and he said, I want to make more money and I want to kill myself less working. Yeah. So he works, you know, 40 hours a week versus, you know, 70 and he makes twice as much. He's a way in. Totally. And he trained and trained and trained and he was great. And so also for wardrobe, you hire your dishwashers and your housekeepers and you basically give them a payment stipend to be your run crew on wardrobe. 
Got it. And that's so they how really changeovers that happen. That's totally. That's pretty cool. And that's how changeovers happen. I, I on would those not have ships. guessed that. I would have guessed Small it would be very- Small ships don't work that way. Like you have to fucking go stay over here yeah. and just stay in your lane and, and stay out of the theater. That's it's not an, your It's ship. a manpower need truly is what it is. Got it. Uh, you know, small ships don't have that, but so bigger ships- Leafs? Um, I got really burnt out. You don't get a day off when you work on cruise ships. If the theater's not, you know, if you're not overseeing something, what are you doing? The ship has to have entertainment seven days a week because there's guests on board seven days a week. So you never get a full 24 hours off. Mm. And I really think that burns people out. And, yeah, that NCL, would burn me out. NCL had and developed and cultivated a policy where even though there's a backup position on board, nobody gets a day off. Right. Shipwide policy. So it's our entertainment policy. You know, captain doesn't get a day off. Nobody gets a day off. And right. I went, yeah, but captain works half as long a contract as I do. Yeah, a motherfucker's driving a boat too. That's right. a little bit different. He also gets coverage. Like obviously he's on call for everything and he's responsible for everything. And but he when he leaves the bridge, a hundred percent, Victor Garber, whoever it was in Titanic, yeah, right. take note. And, uh, but like when you're, you never are off the clock. Right. You are always on call. I had safety duties. I was up inspecting cabins every two weeks at 8 a.m. as part of my ship managerial duties. So you have a separation. Like you're not just doing entertainment. You're right, doing right. ship stuff. And I didn't mind that, but I think when you don't get to really rest your brain and everyone sort of snarks on entertainment because you work less and you make more than everyone else on board, it's a lot of Americans in entertainment because you're more front-facing. Until you train all of the right. engineers and janitors to well, come up. And performers and anyone who's hosting a game show for the guests, like all of the more guest interfacing jobs, you have to be really solid on your English. Of course. So typically you're from a more privileged country and you're getting a more privileged position and paycheck. Yeah. Definitely there's an attitude around entertainment. And, and I- So you just needed a fucking break. I needed a break. I think I also didn't like where they were redirecting the position. I went from calling shows every single week regularly. There were some, like the PSMs in each venue basically said, my first priority is to get you up to par on how to run my venue. Because if I take a work break, if I'm up in medical, if I want to go sit and watch backstage to mitigate a personnel issue, yeah. if I want to sit and note a show that has Tony award-winning choreography and I don't know tap dance... I need you to know things and yeah. I need you to be good at it. Yeah. And so I became the universal show caller on board. I became the universal stage crew on board. I covered every single backstage track and calling track. And some nights a week, they would just hand me over the theater. They weren't absent. They weren't not working. They weren't out having margaritas. They sometimes would go have a dinner and then they would go back to the office and work on advanced paperwork if we were swapping out dance captains. So I, my second contract, they reassigned my position to basically be the administrative assistant to entertainment. And I didn't appreciate that. I wasn't allowed to call shows more than once a month. I was overseeing more in the entertainment that wasn't inside the theater. They took the so fun out of it for you. They made the... Inadvertently. They, they changed the job description without changing the title, and they should have changed the title. Got it. I should have been entertainment facility, like coordinate. Like there's a thousand different titles it could have been, but it wasn't a stage management position anymore. Right. So, for example, we had a version of Deal or No Deal that the cruise director would play three times a week with guests, and I was in charge of running the game. 
But I ran it out of the broadcast office and the people who understudied me and ran it if I wasn't there, say I got called away to a theater emergency, the people who ran it were the broadcast team and there's three of them and one of me. So why is it on my plate to click a button from another room remotely on the ship? Mm. And there's also the thing where I like to be good at what I do. I hope very often I am. And the cruise director strongly preferred and could tell right away if it wasn't me. Right. And he had to be in his bonnet about any time I wanted to deviate from every- I love that expression. God, everyone really was harsh about this new job description and it just really ate at me. And I was just like, you know, my hours have gone up. I'm doing all the busy work, but I'm not actually getting anything out of it. Right. And I- You know, I basically became the company manager for guest entertainers, which was great. I was so happy to do that. And I think it would have and should have been an easy additional workload had I been allowed to do anything else remotely related to theater Mm. as part of a natural fit. So I walk away saying anyone who wants to do cruise ships, proceed with caution. Like, don't assume it's going to be your life, but go in and give it an, give it like a good try. Yeah. Like, I don't regret for a second that I worked on cruise ships. I have met some of the most hardworking people. I've never, I'm Jewish as we've discussed at length, but so sometimes like when I'm in North Carolina, I understand what it's like not to be the majority, like Cherry Hill's a huge Jewish populated town, a huge um, town with Jews. Uh, I just botched all that. So on cruise ships, After Midnight is an all black show. Mm. 99% black musicians as well. Mm-hmm. Comparing that with the Brat Pack show, that's 99% white. Right. And there were contractual differences between both shows. For the record was basically a show rental. They basically rented the rights to the show. And we were an iteration. They could have performed it on land too at the same time. Actually, I don't know that. But they were their own company on land and we borrowed their show to put on board. We owned After Midnight in the sense that the company had bought the rights to and bought essentially the show's items. Our costumes were the costumes from New York. So we were maintaining these beautiful $6,000 couture costumes on board. Okay, And so... There's a difference in contracts for performers and musicians for each show that way. And it drew a lot of racial tension. She's saying it's a problem that you guys owned the black show. You know, when you say it like that. (laughs) Um, So, but there were uh, other small cabaret style shows. And anytime a guest entertainer show required musicians, the show that was not a rental was the show doing that work. Got it. There is a huge understandable discernment that comes with saying, hey, hey, show celebrating Harlem that a lot of old white racist people would come up to me and complain about. A shocking number of people would come up to me in the buffet. Like just the fact that it existed? I will never forget. I used to do the behind the scenes tours every week. So I would interface with guests a little bit extra. And I was- Now we're getting to it. Rat out these old racist people. Oh God, I was up in the buffet and this couple that had been on one of the tours came up to me and said, hi. And I said, oh, hi, nice to see you guys. How'd you like after midnight? So uh, when are we going to get those those other shows? And I'm like, the Brat Pack, the guest entertainers, we got like eight shows this week. Which one do you mean? Right. And he goes, you know, the ones were like, you know, the cruise ship shows where you got like the girls and those little costumes. And the guy's wife is next to him. Like sure. she, and she has a smile on her face. Like she's not she ashamed wants to of see him the girls saying, too. evidently. And so like traditionally cruise ships 
um, that are smaller have review style shows, and it's like very Vegas. They want to see. Yeah, I was gonna say they want to see the Vegas shit. They did not evidently. They didn't have their hearing aids on for my tour because they heard none of what I said to describe the shows on board because right. none of them have a Vegas feel. If anything, after midnight does because of the glamour of it all. Sure. And so I just looked at him. I said. Well, the next show is the Brat Pack and it's 80s style. I don't I don't think there's any feather costumes in that one. Right. And he's like, well, I just don't want to see any of that crap on stage anymore. And I was like, well, their last performance was yesterday. So onward and upward. I just, I just like walked away. You I was piece like, of oh shit. God, what do I do? Like, they're not going to like me anymore. Oh than, my yeah. God. And it was awful. And I, and I definitely can understand there, there's resentment there. I oversaw and stage manage these two Motown inspired cabarets that were designed for the dining room and the big atrium where you host all these game show type things. We had seven performers on wireless mics. Do you know how hard that is to coordinate with receivers at the back end of a sure. ship that doesn't have a proper sound system set up for yeah, it? I and do. you've also got a five-piece band playing. Right. It was terrible. Just putting that thing in that place. The sound never worked. And the cast, right. and it's my job and to be like, well. And then people think it sucks as a thing because of the technology. Well, and it sucks for the performers. This is supposed to be their night off. The other cast, the rest of their cast that's not doing these shows, you know, it's only the singer tracks in After Midnight doing this. The dancers get the night off, but they've got to go perform. Got it. And one of the sax players performs, but not the other saxes. So it's just like they rotate it. But, and there were always issues. And I always felt so terribly because I knew the shows were bad. My second contract, when we went to install them, Shoreside sent a sound contractor. And that poor dude spent like Four hours every day when we were in port up in the rafters of that dining room doing any and everything he could to clean it up. And he just called me one day. He called my my handy, my cap, like my uh, ship phone. And he said, look, I think I got it as good as it can go. But like, I just can't guarantee seven wireless mics plus the sound setup is ever going to function properly. And I went... Can you write that down in as detailed a description as you can and then submit that to Shoreside? And then I want to like put posters of that all over backstage. <laughs> like yeah, where? so they know. And the poor casts, just morale was always just so low because you're performing in venues that aren't the theater. So you are at everyone else's hand for scheduling. You feel like a cheaper act. Absolutely. And when you're dog and ponying like that, it's such a shitty experience. And I right. always felt so badly being like the white girl who's telling all the black people like, hey, you need to come do a show that sucks. And I'm going to yell at you if you're late because I right. know you don't want right. to be here, but your job is to be on time. Right. And we only have 30 minutes to sound check 18 different mics because Again, the hotel director is kicking us out. Not helping the stereotype of the Jewish 100%. woman bossing around the black singers. And it was the worst. <laughs> and I knew it. And I couldn't figure out how many different ways can I acknowledge it. And uh, there was one point where one of their performers went at me in a full department meeting, like every performer on board, every crew on board, full department meeting. And I'm just sitting there and I was like, dude, I'm about as frustrated as you are in the back of my head saying this. I was like, I want to yell like you are. I don't blame you for wanting to get out of that situation. And, and to tell you right now, who checks in on me more than anyone else when there's a post that the day isn't going great? Who says I'm so happy to see your career blossoming and vice versa? Darren. And I'm sitting there on stage listening to Darren scream and yell. Who is Darren? He was the performer who lost it in this oh, whole company he, the guy. meeting. Got it. Understandably, he was a massive ship veteran. He knew his shit. And uh, knew his he, ship. he knew his shit and his ship. And he wanted better. And I did too. And I 
he's not CC'd on my reports to Shoreside outlining all the issues. He's not in these closed door meetings where the person above me says, I'm going to advocate for you as the leader of the entertainment department and I'm going to be there for you. And then the next day when there's an issue, she says, well, that's ships. If you don't like it, you should quit. You know, to be dealing with the flip-flopping of your own right. managers like that. He doesn't know that. He's not privy to it. He doesn't know that I'm taking all that weight and just not displaying right. it for them. So we're so, almost out of time, yeah. but I want to get... So that was that was ahead, ships, yeah. but I, I think they, they are such a specific type of work environment that I am now so close and so respectful of everyone that I worked with because work ethic-wise, it takes a lot to say I'm putting my entire life on hold yeah. to go do this thing and see if I want to continue putting real life on hold like that. Right. It's a, You're working and living in a microcosm but you're aware of it. It's like living in the Truman Show, but also knowing you're on the Truman Show. Right. But yeah. being aware of it. Yes. So and you're like you the can't sequel escape. to the Truman Show where he decides 100%. to stay in the bubble. I'm Jim Carrey after he exits, but also still has the existential crisis. But then walks crisis. back in there. Yeah. So anyways, um, that's just like the roundup of cruise ships and like it yeah. opened up a really, op like a really interesting door I think that's really insightful uh, for yeah. anybody who's looking for a, a you know, a yeah. glimpse into that. I, I want to give you yes. five minutes because oh, it's no. about what we have Is to talk it? about the book. <laughs> I want to talk about the book. Yes. Okay. So, so the tell me books. about the children's book that you've been working on with your yeah, mom. Yeah. Natural Pathway from, um, you know, screaming all day on cruise ships to books <laughs> for kids. I wanted to round out with something that brings you joy. Oh, and I... I love that because at the time, cruise ships, I knew that aspects of it brought me joy, but I also would go on land every week. My sibling was at U Miami, so I was docked out of Miami. So every Saturday for two for a year, I could see my sibling. I had never seen them this much once I sort of left the house in high school to do theater all the time. So Jeremy, in hindsight, goes, boy, I'm so happy you're not bitching to me every Saturday anymore. <laughs> that was a lot of bitching you did. That was a lot of venting. Right. And I was like, wow, was it? And so I, uh, over the years, I have gradually come to the openness in my mind of wanting to facilitate creativity through my own lens. I mm -hmm. don't want to just be, I want to not just be a facilitator of other people's creativity. I want to be able to physically roll up my sleeves and be creative and make it and yes and also use the side of my brain that does everything we just talked about for 17 hours right so i took the creative catalyst certificate course through the keenan institute during covid cool. i was the second class to do it and i just sort of felt confident in myself i also got a writing mentor by stalking someone from my hometown on linkedin <laughs> I looked up notable alumni. I messaged her on LinkedIn, whole paragraph about, you have to like me, blah, blah, blah. I'm from Cherry Hill, please. I'm not crazy. I know I look crazy. And she just writes back, yeah, here's my info. There you go. And she's now a dear, a dear mentor of mine. And so I basically, you know, between all of that and living with my mom during COVID, we had previously floated the idea years ago that our family dog, Lucy, has been on so many fun adventures that we should write a book about it. And she's just got this really expressive way to her. You, you've seen pictures of her yeah. over the years. She, you can tell how she is through photos just by the look in her eye. And she's just so friendly and she just makes, everyone wants to be her friend whenever she goes somewhere. People just want to be around. She, she's, and she's a service dog the way your dog's an emotional support dog. And I think people just really pick up on that. Yeah. It's personality trait. And 
my mom and I living together during COVID recognized that we wouldn't be able to just do one book. We took the time to hone the narrative style we wanted. We took time to research what classic stories did really well. Right. What makes Amelia Bedelia or Henry and Mudge beloved? And what did we want to do that's got a contemporary feel to it, but has elements of being classic. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want to write about just topical stuff. We're writing about all of these lessons children learn in every generation through the eyes of a dog. Mm. So our typical age range for readers is four to six years old is what we've written it to. We took educational rubrics. We created a focus group of educators and young children. We still float every manuscript and every book before we visually finish proofing it goes through them. That's awesome. It's the only Thorough. reason. It's it's due diligence, you know? Yeah. It, you know, you're not going to I'd expect it. nothing else from a stage manager. I was the one ready to go, and my mom's like, we should get people's feedback first. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get something done during COVID. And we've received two Kirkus recommended reviews for each of our, you know, first two books respectively. Kirkus Reviews is the institution for self-published okay. um, books. And, uh, that's your rotten tomatoes. So yeah. Uh, the more particular version. Got it. And it's the, we are in the top 10% of review recipients Fuck yeah. in terms of the type of reviews we get, which is such confirmation that we've honed a really cool idea. Like we've cultivated you did it the right a way. viable concept. And then the feedback we got was valuable. That's awesome. And so we are, we've got lovable Lucy's big day is book one. Lovable Lucy goes to her forever family and it's all first person through Lucy's eyes. So it's hi, I'm lovable Lucy is the right. narrative style. And the first book is meeting the forever family and exploring the home. And it's that metaphor for children of going to your first day of school, going to a new family, all of these things that kids do. That's a first, right? It takes, it, it allows them to learn how to express themselves. Lucy says, I feel, or I am a lot. And through her family and her friends, she learns how to overcome these different obstacles. And in the second book, she learns how to explore her neighborhood a little bit more by learning commands like sit and stay. And the challenge of walking on a leash, she gets really frustrated. So different Which kids these days have to learn how to do also. Totally. Right, and put a uh, leash on your fucking kids. By the way, I'm sick of tripping over all these fuckers. I'm four foot eleven. You can't say too many things about putting <laughs> it's people. Too triggering <laughs> about them being small. I apologize. I can't walk through an NBA like a basketball court. I have to go. I gotta right. be on a leash, right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a, like a trip. Just hazard. lose you. Joel Embiid's gonna break a hit because of me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I uh, I just I'm really happy with the series so far. We are. Selling them now, we're starting to do more press and promo. So this is sort of like a quasi variation. Where can people find these books? You can go to our website, lovablelucyseries.com. Nice. And we have a great distributor. We're starting to get sold in stores. We've been we've been uh, going to different stores in our respective local towns. And there are some Barnes and Nobles and independent stores out here that are going to start carrying the books too. So that's awesome. slowly but surely we'll take over the world. Do you think that's going to be a thing that becomes a really big part of what you're doing artistically? Or is it becoming so. like, like a, you know, an additional revenue stream and another kind of side project or, or For right it, now it's is there the a world where you're a child's book author and that's what your main thing I is? I don't know that I only want to work in the kids sector because part of where I love being creative is finding ways to convey aspects of life to people in a new way. Yeah. Like I love looking at the world and going, what if? Sure. So I have a 
a real love for just going uh, I can talk about this one because I've submitted this screenplay to competition. So it's like it's a project. It's an entity that is out there. Uh, it's called My Life is a Ship Show. And I've gone through iterations of what this concept could be in terms of a workplace comedy. Is it like a short film or a TV pilot It would be a workplace kind of comedy. Be Got a work- it. Yeah. And it would be super fun. And it would be like Shit's Creek meets Cheers. But on a boat. Right. Because I love the containment element of Cheers, but I don't want only traditional characters the way Cheers really laid out these really innovative versions of them, though. And Cheers was very much shot like a play. (sighs) Totally was. And I love that. And so I love taking the idea of the show must go on, but what happens when there is no show? Mm. And that's the entire, you can't cancel a show on a cruise ship unless the ship is rocking too much. Then you don't do a show, but like you never cancel. That's like a policy. Yeah. And. And I also love the idea of reversing the the showcase of customer service mm-hmm. because cruise ships are customer service. Yeah, All 100%. you do is interface with guests. And so everyone has an experience of being in line behind a crazy person or being in a position where you're a Karen and you're not normally a Karen. I certainly have. Sure. You know, and everyone has sort of had that entry level job where you flip burgers, you make coffee, you sell sweatshirts, whatever it is. I was a pancake slinger myself. Nice. Yeah. You must be really good to have over for brunch. I make good omelets. So we'll have to team up. We'll talk goth Jews. I was just thinking, how do I do a squid egg omelet? (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be good. So yeah. So I just love taking concepts and going, wait, it's theater. It's a show about theater, but right. it's a show for anyone else who can relate through customer service yeah. of that of that very specific lens. So I just love being able to take framing concepts and utilize them to tell stories. Yeah. So I, I really hope that I eventually get to become a full-time creative, whether it's through supervising producer, whatever it is. But we have so many ideas for where the book series can expand to. Of course. And we're hoping that in maybe one... 12 to 24 months, it becomes the more primary that you suggested instead of just secondary. But right now, hey, you gotta I, take dedicate, your time. I dedicate like 10 to 15 hours a week Great. to it. In addition to my own 40 hour a week job. And I also run, right. I also am the owner and editor of the Theatrical Index. I took over as the owner and editor a year ago. It's a big operation, one person. And The original woman who created it 20 years ago, Rebecca Watson, great, great New York actress. She's done any and everything. She has worked at like every regional theater in America. She created a 30-something page index that she updates every month. And it's every theater that does an equity contract in America's programming for the season. The director, choreographer, sometimes the creative team behind a show, the executive director, you know, creative producer at a theater. Anything you could need is a networking resource for actors and I think other positions as well, but mostly actors. It's called a theatrical index. Theatrical index. Index. No, what am I calling it? No, I totally just mixed it up. Theatrical index is what I took inspiration from. It's called the season overview. <laughs> That's a completely different <laughs> I just different totally title. gave you a completely different thing. That's okay. And I think I just always mix them up in my brain because I loved the theatrical index as a kid, like mm. as a theater kid, like right. in college, Frank Lombardi introduced it to me and then I used it up until I quit stage management. And when I was updating and giving a facelift to the season overview, I was like what kind of things can I get inspiration from? Because I don't want it to look like the yellow pages online. 
And it's hard to make something that's existed only in print form yeah. interesting online. Like I update a PDF every month and I put it on a website. Like how do sure. I jazz this up? I scour the theatrical index for in, for inspiration. So that's why I just had that Freudian slip. Um, but the season overview, I update every single month. The first of every month, I just go in and update it. And it's a great resource. It's $14.95 a month or it's $161 for the year. Good value. Super great value. And you can get it's now 54 pages long because I decided to add in summer theaters as an Got addendum. It. So obviously not the season right now for it, but I update them whenever they're seasonal updates. Some theaters that only do summer seasons have already announced next summer. I think it's Utah Shakespeare uh, Festival. They've already announced 2023. But I, I just want to give actors resources. We are in an era where everyone's moved out of New York. The way that we audition is completely different. The way that we network is completely different. I think a lot more people deserve opportunities. If you don't know what's out there and getting made, if you don't know that a theater exists, how are you going to find out about the world premiere they're promoting? Right. If you are from Wisconsin, how are you going to find out that some theater in Virginia right. is doing a show that you'd be perfect for? You used to have to just know somebody. Totally. And now you can find it all at the season overview. Yeah, the season overview. Season overview. Oh, yeah. Get it. Go get it. It's <laughs> worth the value. Get yourself yeah. both of the Lovable Lucy books and stay tuned for yeah. Goth Jews coming this <laughs> fall or maybe next fall. We're going to figure it out. Never. Just be patient. <laughs> Thank you. I'll talk forever if you let me. <laughs> I know. That's why I got to cut it. But we're going to have you on again next time and cool. we'll catch up on cool. all the stuff that you're working your ass off. Yeah. So thank you for doing this. You're welcome. It's hard to interview with you because we've known each other for so long that we can and do talk about any and everything. Right. So it's hard to have a more streamlined conversation with you. Well, that's okay. I do, I do my best fun, to guide though. it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Shana. Love the goth Jews. <laughs> <laughs>